0: From the studios of WHUP LP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio.
1: Innovative, often duplicated. When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it. Make it way harder for them to follow. What I take it hard to swallow, like a lozenger lodged in your trachea. Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up. So just take your stuff, rake it up and take the bus. Never fake the funk you painted skunks. You played enough. I'm lifting bars to outer space, so the weight is up)
0: Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. It is Sunday, the final day of the Mundials 2017, when all the quarterfinal, semifinal, and final matches, as well as absolute finals, happen. We're recording before all that starts, so we're going to do a follow-up that'll let you know the results of all those things. But most of the locals that you're interested in have finished their matches, so this show is going to be divided into a recap of North Carolina and beyond competitors at the Worlds, and at about at the middle of the hour, John Bagels-Telford, our friend, and New Denizen of Richmond, North Carolina, he moved out of Raleigh, will call in to talk about Toro Cup. Toro Cup is next weekend, and so we're going to preview that card. So there's going to be a lot of review of local performances in jiu-jitsu at the Worlds, the IBJJF Mundials, and a, a looking ahead to one of Toro BJJ's featured events, uh, Toro Cup 7, which is going to be, the, I think, the most exciting card yet. It certainly has the most upper belts on it, and certainly the, some of the most folks out of the area. So looking forward to talking about all that with you. Before we get into that and before we get into the news segment, I need to tell you how to get a hold of the show. You can always email us at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. You can get at us on Twitter at DWB Radio or on Instagram where we're very active at Dirty White Belt. You can always get at us on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash cagesideradio. You can also get there by searching for Dirty White Belt. And if you look, you will find open threads for every day of the world where we have many people, mostly myself, but a lot of other people doing play by play of massive matches for folks that don't have access to the flow grappling stream you should totally buy the flow grappling stream if you have the means so you can watch all of the different matches that you want to watch but if you want to know what happened in the match of one of your friends from the area but you don't have access uh, we broke it down for you in those open threads joining me in the studio today is my favorite white belt betsy o'donovan betsy and i are going to be talking about the mundials first and then we're going to join with john bagelstelford to talk about toro cup how are you doing today betsy
1: I'm cheerful and I have a full cup of coffee.
0: Well, those seem like elements of happiness. We also have a special guest host in the arena. So if you hear anybody chewing on a drumstick behind you, that's Fletcher the bass or Fletcher the, the bloodhound who we have adopted. Just this week, out of a shelter, go support your local animal shelter by taking home an awesome best friend. Uh, I'm sort of in love with this dude anyway, and we'll post pictures of him to our Instagram, which is uh, Dirty White Belt. So let's start with the news segment. First of all, I I mentioned this, and we're going to go in more depth on it later, but I want to flag that a week from yesterday uh, is Toro Cup Seven. That's next Saturday. So Toro Cup is a Toro Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Company's flagship event. There have been this is going to be the seventh, and they always benefit various charities. In this case, half of the proceeds goes to benefit the Women's Center of Raleigh, supporting survivors of domestic violence, doing really important work, and also seeing a whole bunch of great matches, which we're going to get into talking about with John Telford. I think we have about twenty matches for you this time. That's next week at the Cageside Fight Company Toro BJJ World Headquarters. One Two Four Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. I want to flag that that is next weekend. Additionally, a week from today, day after Torow Cup, uh, uh, to Nicky Ryan, who is uh, and Ethan Krellenstein, who are both stand uh, out. Standout rising star young competitors on the jiu-jitsu scene are both going to be competing on the Toro Cup card. And the day after that, on Sunday, they're going to teach a no-gi seminar at Elevate MMA. And so if you have wanted to learn some of those techniques uh, from the the John Donaher techniques that uh, Nikki Ryan uses or some of the TriStar Gym techniques that you've seen Ethan Krellinston use, you may have seen that video of Ethan uh, breaking a dude's arm in grisly fashion. Uh, if, if you haven't, I'm sure you can throw it in your Google machine that... Uh, You'll be interested in learning that. And so on Sunday, uh, next Sunday, uh, Nikki Ryan and Ethan Krellinston having a seminar. Uh, Spoiler alert, we're also going to get those guys on the podcast next week. So if you're interested in hearing an interview with them or if you're Andrew Bittner and you have various nerdy and arcane questions about how you do leg locks, uh, seriously, send me your questions for Nikki Ryan and Ethan Crelinston. A couple of other notes. Uh, U.S. Grappling Richmond is happening on June 24th. Uh, This is one of my favorite times of the year because I love getting up to Richmond for a lot of different reasons. And also from a jiu-jitsu perspective, it's one of my favorite tournaments. You know, obviously it's nice to not have to travel at all. And so Submission Only Raleigh, which is coming up in July, is is a favorite event of mine as well. But what I like about Richmond, there's a ton of great jiu-jitsu in Richmond generally, just kind of in just always present in Richmond, from Revolution BJJ to Richmond BJJ to Upstream BJJ, all great schools, all with terrific black belt instructors. But also, it's sort of the midpoint between here and the Washington, D.C. metro area. And so a lot of times, competitors you wouldn't get the chance to compete against will be there on June 24th at U.S. Grappling Richmond. So be sure to get out to usgrappling.com, save yourself some money by registering early, and support that. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. One other thing I want to mention, and then a couple of show notes uh, for the new segment is July 15th, Nakapan poonpon who is the head instructor at Acad- Beta Academy, and just an outstanding practitioner of both Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, really tough competitive black belt, is having a seminar at Revolution BJJ in Richmond, Virginia. That's Andrew Smith's school. Um, so Nakapon is going to teach all of those techniques that uh, he uses to get on top, stay on top, take away every centimeter of space that you possibly have, and never let you get it back. I actually don't know what the topic of the seminar is, but that's what I'm going to ask him to show me. Uh, Nak is a great guy, a tremendous competitor, and also, you know, a a standout practitioner of jiu jitsu, both in terms of uh, sport and self defense. And so you'll definitely want to check that out. So to close out the new segment, I'm going to mention a couple of things about the show, and then we'll get into our world's recap. Um, Two things. First of all, uh, I'm going to be on the matrix podcast with Paul, Paul uh, called me and said, hey, let's talk about, uh, you know, he wanted to get me on the show to talk about the process of doing a podcast, about jiu-jitsu stuff. We ended up having a ton of things in common, uh, which was cool. And so I'll post a link to that on the show page and at dirtywhitebook.com when it happens. That was a lot of fun for me to do. So thanks to Paul for having me on the Matt Tricks podcast. We'll post a link when it's available last thing before we get into the meat of the show so we're starting a Patreon campaign and for those of you that don't know what Patreon is, it's sort of like Kickstarter except for it's a recurring monthly thing where you support the show uh, with a little bit of support each month, as little as a dollar. There are rewards at different levels I don't want anybody to feel obligated to do this because the show is a labor of love for me and I'm going to continue to do it no matter what, but what the support will allow us to do is to do more cool stuff for the community support more jiu-jitsu athletes through sponsorship, do more events, put Produce more videos, things like that. So uh, please watch for that. And if you uh, have the inclination and the means, if you enjoy the show, we would certainly appreciate your support. So, or we know what you're here to hear about, and that is the Mundial de Jiu Jitsu, arguably the biggest tournament in the world, certainly one of the most prestigious. And we're going to talk about that right on the other side of this break. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff, they do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for tie gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu geese or Vale Tudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. Two Four Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian Jiu Jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, One Two Four Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at Cageside.com. My thanks to DJ Minilove, who also trains jujitsu, for a lot of the music that we have on the show. The music that you just heard backing that track is a DJ Minilove track. If you're so inclined and you enjoy his electronic music or electronic music generally, go to his SoundCloud page, which is linked from our page, and you can check it out. So it's the Moody Weekend, and for me, this is the best time of the year. It's the time when I get to, with no excuses, uh, just sit down and in my house and go from mat to mat watching jujitsu something like 12 hours a day obsessively for three straight days. This is what I imagine you know, sports fans and the more mainstream sports do uh, with March Madness, with the sort of NCAA basketball tournament. It's just the kind of thing that you look forward to all year round and you just kind of sit and watch the thing that animates you the most. And Betsy, do you think that's a fair comparison?
1: Oh, I think you definitely watch 12 hours a day, for sure. That's totally fair. Yeah. Oh, you meant the comparison. Yes, I think that's also... That's really the only comparison I'd, I'd say is in North Carolina, the way we treat March Madness is almost as frenzied as the way you treat Mundials.
0: Yeah, as someone that's a transplant to North Carolina, I moved here 10 years ago. I must say, I didn't realize exactly how big basketball was here, which sounds stupid when you think of it. But if you don't live here, I moved here one time and I, uh, when I moved here, uh, my work one day was totally empty. And I was like, what's going on? And you might think because of what we just said that it was the NCAA tournament. Uh, uh-uh. It was the ACC tournament. And like everyone just knew that people were like calling in sick, taking off of work, and everybody's like, oh yeah, he's got the flu. No, he's really at home watching basketball. And that's not even the biggest tournament. So
1: Basketball flu is really serious and super contagious, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, North Carolina loves our basketball, but we also love our jiu and we sent an army of some of our most awesome competitors out to the Mundials, a number of whom did very well. And I know, Betsy, we're going to break down a lot of those performances. Mm -hmm. I know you have some questions for me, but um, I want to talk about uh, the most. what I thought was the most outstanding performance by a North Carolina competitor. It's no surprise that Kim Rice, who's been a mainstay on the competition scene and someone that has medaled now at every belt level other than white belt at the Worlds, uh, took double bronze, which means she won a bronze medal in both her weight class and the absolute. Kim won one match by default, unfortunately, in in, uh, in her weight class, where her opponent got sick, but she finished two matches in absolute. She finished one match by Kumura, finished the second match by Triangle, and was really close to getting to the absolute finals. She ended up losing uh, by a penalty point in the absolute semifinals due to an illegal grip, which I know Kim is, is disappointed about, but you have to be pleased and you have to be proud that your first tournament as a brown belt, you end up at your first tournament at the brown belt competing at the elite level and getting on the podium in both aspects. And I, I happen to know that at least a couple of the women that were in her division had been brown belts forever. And so so I'm really happy for Kim about that, and I'm sure you are as well.
1: Well, yeah, and I think, you know, that's the, Kim is, of course, asking all of her friends, like, I think this is what is the definition of an amazing competitor um, and somebody that people in our local scene look up to for good reasons. You know, her her post on Facebook right after was about, you know, Double bronze, really happy about it, feels good about her performance, and then asking people to smack her when she gets illegal grips on their pants and rolling locally. And, you know, it's just the constantly having your eye on what's next. What do you need to improve? And um, Kim's attitude toward working specific skills is something that I just admire incredibly much. Like earlier this year, she had a challenge for upper belts. If they could tripod sweeper, right? Spider guard. Spider guard sweeper, because she was working that skill, and she the deal was she would make you truffles if you could sweep her.
0: Yeah, and I think specific training is a great way, particularly at the elite level, where like really small things can make the difference, right? Like one little grip can make the difference between a bronze medal and possibly a, a gold medal. Uh, I also like Jake Whitfield's response to her Facebook post, which was, "I'll smack you just on the general <laughs> principle," and you know he's you know he's not kidding. Um, but but in, in all seriousness, like these the, there is. I will talk about this later when we get into into Amber Habel's match, but the thin margin between victory and loss at that level is so apparent. And that was really on display for our, a lot of our local competitors. But I, I really feel good. I mean, I'm very happy for Kim. and very proud of her performance. And one of the, the great things about her performance is, again, as a new brown belt, getting on the podium in both spots. Now, Kim has won the Worlds at Blue Belt, was a, a bronze medalist at Purple Belt, also a medal in Absolute. And so she knows she can compete with the absolute best in the world, and, you know, next year could be on, could be on the podium in a different spot.
1: Yeah, and I think um, all of that comes down to that just relentless improvement. I don't know she's amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: So other than Kim, do you have, a, like, I, I, I want, I know I want to mention Andrew Bittner, because Andrew was this, um, this was Andrew's first world. And he hasn't done too many IBJJF tournaments, so I think he's kind of a well-kept secret on our local scene that a lot of people nationally don't know about, but they're going to know about. And Andrew won his first match very decisively in a, in a submission where he, he continually attacked his opponent before securing a, a triangle position, and from that triangle he he him. He ended up losing to the, the guy, um, at Eric, who is another big ginger, who had won uh, double gold at the European Championship. And so and that was a a fascinating match that I really enjoyed watching. Very technical match between both guys. And, uh, you know, know, Andrew ended up losing that match uh, on points. And I think that that is just I think that loss is purely a function of experience in that once his opponent got up on points, he was able to secure certain pants grips that sort of shut down Bittner's offensive game. And uh, I know Bittner, and I know he's probably like, you know, he's probably watching tape at the hotel before he heads off to the tournament to watch jujitsu live. And so I I know that's not a mistake that he will, I know that's an improvement that he will make. And I'm, I, I think you never perform as well at your first worlds as you're capable of in the future. And so now that he's gotten this one under his belt, I'm really excited to see what he achieves in the future.
1: I think his first match was one of my favorites of the tournament. And I think this is actually something that's really, we were talking earlier today about, you know, I don't as a white belt i don't feel like i have a lot of great color commentary to add to matches like um you know the, particularly at this level the you see some excellent fundamental jiu jitsu that i can recognize but it's watching some of these people like watching um deandre Corbet yesterday was mm-hmm. it, it, there was an interesting Barambolo game that i couldn't even begin to break down but Bittner's match um, highlighted something really interesting for me. Both of his matches highlighted something really interesting for me, which is there's terrific technical jujitsu to watch, but the distinction between how fun it is to watch people when you're just in the crowd, seeing people do great technical jujitsu that is tournament oriented and very points aware versus watching people who are doing great technical jujitsu and really, really actively hunting the submissions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew's first match was super exciting just because it was so active. And he was, like, really, you know, it was not a, a match where you see somebody sweep, take side control, lock it down, and then stall. It was, he was really actively fighting for stuff, and it makes great, great jujitsu.
0: I couldn't agree more, and I give that match five eggplants. So... Uh, <laughs> So I know you have some questions for me about some of the other matches, and I want to make sure that you get the opportunity to ask those questions.
1: Yeah, I do. I wanted to talk to you, you know, it's uh, Caitlin Huggins is somebody who is obviously a good longtime friend of the show, um, and same with DeAndre Corbet, and I think the black belt matches earlier, uh, early in the tournament, we have some more coming today, are really instructive for people. So I wanted to ask you to call out, Things that people on the replay should be watching for in DeAndre and Caitlin's matches, particularly. Okay, well, so th-
0: one of the takeaways from Caitlin's match, so so Caitlin did two matches and unfortunately came up on the losing end each time. Both were very close matches. I think the major takeaway from Caitlin's match, which is some, C- Caitlin's matches, which I'm going to talk about in terms of uh, Amber Hable's match as well, is how thin the margins are at this level. Like b- each of those matches was a winnable match for Caitlin. And which is, on the one hand, great. Because Caitlyn can know with absolute certainty that she can win matches against elite competitive black belts. And I'll I'll talk about each match in its turn. But I think, I'd, I'd, I know that the sting of defeat always, I mean, it always sucks to lose, period. And so I know that Caitlyn is probably feeling that. But, like, that shouldn't get lost in the shuffle. Uh, is that how thin the margins are. And it's a lot about a lot about making those minor improvements. And I talked with Caitlin about this last night, like the one that she's gonna be working on is opening the closed guard of really tough competitors with really long legs. Because uh, that was basically the story of her matches. Like her match against Amanda Lowen ended up going to referee's decision. There were no points and no advantages. Uh, Amanda Loewen pulled guard immediately and was able to get the guard closed. And pretty much the story of the match was Caitlin fighting to get the guard open, doing everything she could to do that, and in many cases, getting the guard open only to have Lowen then shrimp and reclose the guard pretty effectively. Uh, and so it wasn't the most, like, I really enjoyed watching the match. It wasn't the most thrilling match to watch in terms of action, but there were a lot of little micro adjustments that, that I thought were pretty, pretty important strategically. So, uh, you know, for those of you that aren't, I mean, I'm sure no one listening to this isn't aware of the scoring system. But if, if there is no submission, jujitsu matches go to points. If the points are tied, they go to advantages, which is you know near, n- a near submission, a near sweep, things like that. If the if that is tied, they go to penalty points, which is for things like stalling or, in Kim's case, an illegal grip. In this case, in in, in Caitlin's match against Amanda the Lowen, there were no points, no advantages, and no penalties, just because Caitlin had been trying to pass. And Amanda Loewen wasn't able to mount any successful attacks from the bottom. So now the ref has to make a decision, and usually the ref makes a decision on um, based on how active and effective each person was. And he ended up uh, giving the referee's decision to Amanda Loewen. Now I want to say two things about this. First of all, I be- I believe, and you know, certainly I'm biased, but I certainly I believe Caitlin deserved the referee's decision because I feel when you're on top, continually trying to advance position, and the other person isn't able to really throw any offense at you i think if you're the only one able to initiate offense i I think that generally speaking you should get that referee's decision the second thing though is you know if you don't score you really can't complain too much you know and so it was one of those matches that literally could have gone either way now think about this i don't want to talk about this in the context of amber's match as well later when we're talking about the thin margins of victory if caitlin wins that match suddenly she's in the semifinals against monique elias gets a bronze medal and a rematch with the world champion that's a huge difference, right, in how you feel mm-hmm. the next morning. And, like, that's based on just a, one decision that could have gone either way. And so when you're, you know, so when you think about this, it's always important to take away, you know, the sting of losing is something that helps motivate us to get better. But it's also important to remember that, you know, a loss isn't just a loss, especially if you learn from it. You learn how to do more um, with with the, with the close guard uh, in the future. And you mentioned DeAndre. And uh, who is an elite brown belt competitor. And DeAndre mashed his first two opponents, which, which I fully expected. DeAndre Corbet. And just as a side note, everyone should go watch DeAndre's matches because his transitions are beautiful. He hit this really amazing series of transitions in his first match when a guy was trying to stack pass him. And he went right into an omoplata, like seemingly effortlessly. Now, mm-hmm. that effortlessness comes from drilling that over and over again thousands of times. But still... It, it it it's just beautiful jujitsu, and so DeAndre was was really uh, was doing extremely well, and I fully expected him to be on the podium. In the quarterfinals, he ran into a guy who was just a buzzsaw, and that guy, you know, was he. I, I think DeAndre got behind. DeAndre tried to pull guard, and the other guy I let, went for enough of a takedown to get the points, and I think that put him on the defensive. And DeAndre ended up losing that that match. The guy passed guard, and and collar choked him. And I man, I don't remember the last time I've seen DeAndre submitted. So um, so so that was tough. But um, but you know, but those are things that I mean. But it's always worth watching a DeAndre match because his technique is just that good.
1: Yeah, incredibly fun. Um, then I wanted to get to some of the very local folks. Mm. Uh, Three very close friends of the show, people we train with on the regular at Triangle Jiu Jitsu, but Amber and Eric Cable, um, who were competing in their first Worlds, and Shayla too, who threw up a an absolutely sick flying armbar last year. Uh, in incredibly memorable and beloved by the internet fashion.
0: Yeah, that's probably, Shayla's probably more famous than anybody because of that. <laughs> or I'm famous than anybody associated with the show, except maybe Hickson. Hickson's yeah. still pretty famous.
1: So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, them from the perspective of observing their training and how, how these folks as a group prepared for Worlds and then what happened mm-hmm. this week.
0: Yeah, so. Uh, I was incredibly proud of all of those people because they definitely trained incredibly hard, and especially the Habels put the best versions of themselves I've ever seen on the mats. And I want to talk about each of those individuals in turn. I do want to acknowledge one thing, though, which is what's funny about the Worlds. I watched it with my my good friend, the Grumpy Grappler, who we hope to have on the show at some point. He's a brown belt. And he was like, man, the blue belts are so good now. And and he's right. Like, there are, there are so... Many excellent blue belts that train full time, that get sponsorships, that have made jujitsu their lives. And so, when you talk about like folks like Amber and Eric Cable, when you talk about Shayla, these are people with with jobs and lives and families. Which is not to denigrate the achievement of you know the 21 year old super athlete who trains three times a day, but it's not a one to one comparison. Um, so that being said, you know everybody on that list, you know, because I, I know Shayla's work kicked up in two or three, for the last couple of weeks before Worlds, she didn't get as much training in as she would have wanted to, but but all of them trained extremely hard. So I want to talk about Eric first because, like, man, his improvement over the last year has been considerable, and it was great to see him rewarded. So he ended up having a very tough first match, but ended up winning on points. at Was caught in an plata with like 30 seconds to go, had to survive it, and just gutted it out with with technique and posture, prevented the guy from sweeping him, prevented the guy from submitting him, and it ended up getting a, a good first round win against a very tough opponent. Uh, so, you know, and it's very important to remember too, and I'll talk about this in a second with Amber's match, that 50% of the people at the Worlds, no matter how good they are, are going to lose their first match. A lot of incredible stone killers get bad draws in the first round or don't perform or whatever and lose their first match. So winning a match at the Worlds is, is an achievement. Eric wound up losing by ankle lock in his second match but still a lot to hold your head up high there. Now I talked earlier about the thin margin of victory. I want to talk about that specifically in terms of Amber Hable. So Amber just performed I couldn't be more proud of her. You know, despite the result of her first match. Her first match she ended up losing by points. But there are, uh, are a couple circumstances that I want to talk about. So Amber ended up fighting for a takedown with her opponent. Her opponent looked to have pretty good takedowns. So Amber pulls guard right into an armbar, like has her. And I'm like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, she's got it. She's got it. That girl's done. The girl tries to defend. Amber transitions to a belly down armbar. I'm like, oh, man, it really looks like that armbar is tight and really thought she was going to finish it. The, her opponent ends up posturing up. Amber switches off to a triangle. Looks like the triangle is tight. Amber makes the decision to switch back to the armbar, and in that transition, her opponent is able to pass guard, ends up winning on points, ends up, I don't want to say stalling Amber out, but like, okay, I'm up on points, I'm not going to take any chances, ends up playing it safe, and ends up beating Amber on points. I found out later a couple things, because uh, I watched the woman that Amber competed against go through the bracket. She ended up winning three more matches to get to the semifinals, or no, to the quarterfinals, I'm sorry. She ended up... Uh, and and very nearly got to the semifinals, so very nearly meddled now right now, and the the second thing I talked to Amber later turns out she popped the girl's elbow with the first arm bar and they were talking we saw them talking and laughing after the match and I was like, I always wonder what what people are talking about so I asked amber what what were you all talking about and she's like, man did I did I hear your elbow pop? Oh yeah, you know it it just pops. I don't really care that would completely freak me out right and well this this woman I think is nineteen years old and has like young person joints and a young person's commitment to like well I'm going to gut this out and and I mean props to her for toughness but when you think about the thin difference between results so amber was this close like had a tight submission popped the elbow of someone that wound up getting to quarterfinals could easily have won that match okay amber wins that match now what happens just like with Caitlin's match like th- these matches that could go either way sometimes determine and this is sort of the f- the heartbreak of a single elimination tournament, right? Where mm-hmm. you would get truer results if it were double elimination. But, but you know, that's the way it goes. Um, at any rate, a terrific performance by, by Amber despite the result.
1: And I think it was... So Amber is always fun to watch. She's, she's competed in a couple of Toro Cups. She's so aggressive. And um, it, it's really... It, she's just a really super dynamic competitor. And I thought that this was very much a match that... I am always, I will always, I've never seen it, but I will be surprised if I ever see Amber Hable play conservative jujitsu. And the fact that she was attacking, attacking, attacking with these ferocious submission attempts um, was totally in her game plan. It felt like she was in really strong control of the match and knew where she was going. And, you know, the fact that it, it went to points is disappointing, but, um, you know, it, it was fun to watch signature Amber Habel jiu-jitsu.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And, and the, you know, that points out also that rule set matters. This is something that, you know, some folks are amazing submission only. Like Kim, Kim Rice loses very rarely. When she loses, she often loses to point fighters because you'd be very, it's very difficult to beat Kim Rice submission only. I, are we ready to get into the most controversial match of the tournament?
1: Well, I would be, except there's an important purple belt match that we haven't even touched on yet. Mm, talk to me. So, Shayla too of the Flying Armbar um, went into this uh, so ready, and I know she, um, you know, life always gets in the way, but um, I, just watching her in the gym, doing early morning sessions, traveling to other gyms to get, and, and she did something that I think we saw really interestingly at this tournament, diversity in your training partners, mm-hmm. I think, um, is something that has just been demonstrated as really important. You know, you if you have an unusual body type, for example, Andrew Bittner doesn't run up against a lot of, like, lanky gingers in his weight class uh, until he hits worlds. I'm not sure how much hair color has to do with it, but just in case. It means everything. Um, and, you know, Shayla really went out hunting for the full breadth of experience, looking for people who she knows gives her trouble, you know, doing all of the prep that one does Mm -hmm. um and i wanted to talk about you know this is her first worlds at purple belt and we talk a lot about how huge the blue belt division is um and it starts to narrow down obviously as you get to upper belts but i wanted to talk about what you expect from her based on this performance at worlds and sort of what you know about shayla as a competitor moving forward we
0: didn't learn anything new I think we knew that Shayla could compete with anybody in the world, uh, anybody in the world at purple belt. And I think her first match, which she won, is, is indicative of that. Because both of the matches that Shayla and I think you raise a good point about. It's very important to train with a diverse array of training partners: people with different body types, people with different sizes, people with different games. Very important to train with people that know how to wrestle, that know how to do judo, that have amazing guards. You mentioned Kim trying to shore up her spider guard passing and defense, and you know. I think everyone that does jujitsu has run into a game that they just have a problem with solving. And one of the things that I think was most important about Shayla's first win is that she ran up against essentially her kryptonite and won anyway. She, what, she, uh, she went up against a woman whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, although we posted it on the Facebook, who was a Mongolian judoka. And Shayla ended up you know, trying to take her down, got thrown and you know, got thrown with a, with a sick drop sayanagi almost into a into a guard pass, and I was like, oh, we're in trouble, we're down because because the first person to score, all, wins most of the time, not just because they're usually the best competitor, but like now you can play the points. Shayla obviously was not ready to let that happen, and so ended up coming back and winning that match fifteen to two. Didn't get scored on again.
1: If, and if you want to see some beautiful defense, like Shayla, basically there were two drop sayanagis in that match, and Shayla basically cartwheeled out of both of those like she's she's a sick athlete but also just her commitment to like fight through things that other people would let overwhelm them as yeah it was
0: yeah funny side note about that shayla was reading the uh, we we were doing the play-by-play in the facebook thread on our facebook page i was like oh shayla cart just cartwheeled out of a drop sayinagi and she was reading through the thread later and i was like i don't even remember doing that <laughs> and it's just this natural athletic grace that she has but yeah and so and so So in her second match, she wound up against a very, like, again, we all have a different, I think, body type and game that gives us problems. And for Shayla, like, super athletes that can wrestle and do judo, it's difficult because Shayla wants to be on top. And, uh, you know, many of us do. And I think Shayla's guard showed that she, you know, particularly in the first match against the Mongolian judoka, Shayla's guard has grown by leaps and bounds, and it's very dangerous now. Um, but you know you want to be on top, and so she ended up uh, in, in her second match going up against someone that clearly had a high level wrestling and judo background, and was able to get on top, stay on top, and win on points. Uh, nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, a really good performance from Shayla, and I think that it heralds great things in the future. I'll be really excited to what she does to see what she does for the rest of her purple belt uh, career. <laughs> Hey Jeff. Yeah Betsy.
1: I uh, couldn't help but notice that U.S. Grappling Richmond is coming up at the end of June.
0: It is June 24th in Richmond, Virginia.
1: So here's my question for you, since we are going to be heading up that way. Tell me a little bit about the BJJ scene in Richmond. What can we expect at the tournament?
0: There's a ton of great gyms, uh, starting with Revolution BJJ, Andrew Smith School, where you also have Daniel Frank, Jarrett Church, Andrew Silver, a bunch of terrific black belts. John Bagels Telford, our good friend, just moved up there. Seth Smith School, Upstream BJJ, is a new... uh, uh, new school on the scene And Seth's a great instructor Friend of the show And former guest You also have Eric Brudo And Liz Susson's school Richmond BJJ And so a lot of really quality r- Jiu-jitsu in Richmond Plus it's sort of The central meeting point For those of us From North Carolina To meet with p- folks From the D.C. metro area And so it should be A terrific turnout Of great jujitsu.
1: I can't wait For some good rolls.
0: That would be U.S. Grappling Richmond June 24th
1: Thanks for supporting The people who support us
0: So to close out our local Mundial re- recap segment, I want to talk about the most controversial match, which is a blue belt match. And uh, I, w- I know that you have some thoughts on this. I do as well. In about 10 minutes, we'll go to John Bagel's Helford for uh, a preview of the Toro Cup. So Gavin Corbet, DeAndre's younger brother, uh, was who is a blue belt, was performing incredibly well, just super technical jujitsu, going through the bracket, ends up in the quarterfinals. He's in the quarterfinals against a, an outstanding kid from Atos, who's one of the favorites to win it. So with a minute left, Gavin is up an advantage. Gavin ends up attacking the kid's back. And he doesn't have his hooks in, but he's in that sort of like modified, you know, what a lot of people call the crab ride. He's, he's going for the back and hunting it. And the other kid grabs his leg right at the end of the lever with Gavin's other hip trapped, hyper extends Gavin's left knee, and, and Gavin taps. The referee immediately signals for a disqualification because knee bars are illegal at the blue belt level. And uh, after about five minutes, um, the guy's coach, Andre Galvao, has a conversation with the referee. They reverse the decision and they end up uh, disqualifying Gavin or basically saying, well, you tapped, you lose. I want to give my take on this a little bit first, like my capsule summary of this. There was some debate about this on the Internet, but with most of and my take is is very much like this it's this is a cut-and-dried situation it is a rule he broke the rule gavin wins you know knee bars are illegal gavin tapped to a knee bar when you tap to an illegal technique you win also like you know knowing gavin corbet and how competitive he is and knowing that this is a match for a medal like if he wins this match he gets on the podium and he's winning the match he's up an advantage if you're winning a match that is your medal at the world's match. You're not going to tap unless you absolutely have to tap, unless your knee is in danger. And watching the video over and over, it's very clear that his knee is is in real danger. He can't relieve the pressure because his other hip is trapped. And there just isn't any, any other way to say it. It was a knee bar. It was a really, like... And I, I'm just, I'm frankly, I'm gutted for Gavin because I put myself in that position and it's like, you know, the, the, as hard as you work and you're so close to getting on the on the podium at the Worlds. The good news is Gavin, I mean, and you know, I know he's probably not ready to hear this. The good news is he's young enough that he's going to come back even stronger. But I feel like this was a real injustice. I feel like this was something that the IBJJF should correct. And I don't think that they're going to. And that that's extremely disappointing because... You know, for a lot of reasons. Like, this is a rule that is implemented for safety of the competitors, um, and it's a rule that should be fairly applied regardless of how influential the team that you're on is. And so really sorry uh, that, that that Gavin's tournament ended that way, especially after he performed as well as he did. And so, Betsy, you're, you are um, the head of an organization, and you make rules for your organization with outcomes in mind. You've also taught ethics at the college level, with a and, and ethics is a key component in rulemaking. And so I'm wondering what your take on this is, watching this and sort of seeing the uh, the debate about it.
1: Um. So I have very rarely been angrier about anything than I am about this. I mean, I don't know Gavin or the Corbeys personally. You know, I've seen them compete, I think, well of their jiu-jitsu. But what I'm really raging about is that this This poisons my pleasure in sport jujitsu. It poisons, I think, the well for a lot of people. And it is indicative of one of the things that gets said a lot very quietly and sometimes not that quietly, which is that the IBJJF is not actually um, operating as a legitimate tournament organization. Because if it were, there would be fair play. And. Um, I think a lot of the time what we see is the corruption of influential teams that bring a lot of competitors and a lot of entry fees. Um, and we see some strong referee bias. And uh, you know, I think there we were talking yesterday, and uh, there's no recourse for Gav in the match at the moment, despite the fact that one decision was reversed. And then the question of, should we even bother to have this conversation? Is it even worth talking about this if the IBJJF is not ready to reform um, not its rule set, but its application of the rule set? The rule set is very clear, and the IBJJF violated it, and quite, like, not to put too fine a point on it, but if I were the Corbeys, I'm not a litigious person. I would sue them for damages. And I think it is, frankly, we are at the point in jujitsu competition where, you know, someone... uh, posted on Facebook something I utterly disagree, or utterly agree with, which is that this is why jujitsu is not ready to be an Olympic sport. Um, it is toxic for all of us when there is no spirit of fair play or when money and influence, uh, money and power influence outcomes of individual matches. Um, so, the reason that I would support suing is not because you want to get you know, a million dollars, know, this isn't a frivolous suit, this is there's a real cost to competitors, not just in your entry fees and your travel costs, which are measurable damages, but also all of the time and investment you put into the training for the world's competition. And if you really want to get ridiculous with it, you can say it also affects your future earnings. You know, If Gav Corbet had meddled at the world's as a blue belt, Um, medals at purple, medals at brown, medals at black belt. These are the people who stand to make a living off of their jiu-jitsu to create the teams um, that support them, that become huge franchises that are you know, there's a a future earnings thing here too. I'm less interested in that than I am in the fact that um, if you are an organization where might makes right, um, then you're not, it's not legitimate sport. And um, you know, I don't think a boycott is going to solve it because the teams that are the largest teams are the teams that benefit from this corruption of the rule set. And so, you know, if Triangle Jiu Jitsu Academy decided to boycott the IBJJF, sorry, that's five entry fees. It's not a big deal to them. Um, you know, if Otto's boycotts, that's a, a and moves to a different says, oh, we're only competing for Abu Dhabi or whatever, that's a that's a whole different story for them. But if you have to be the big guy to get a fair application of the rules or even to get a hearing or an appeal, then it's, it is illegitimate. Um, and that is why we have a legal system in this country, and I think someone needs to sue just to say, look, I paid an entry fee, there are clear damages, I have legal standing, and I want a review. Um, uh, you know, and I don't know that that's the Corbet family, but we saw a few things at this Mundials that where people clearly kind of got the the wrong end of the stick, and we're ready for something better from IG, IBJJF. That's my mm-hmm. take.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that, that disappoints me the most is like certainly reasonable people can disagree about certain things. I feel like this is a pretty cut and dry case, but what has disturbed me is people uh, 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 talking and and sort of falling into tribal camps without even acknowledging the that yet yeah, looks bad. Like even the folks that are the, the folks that are sort of on the other side arguing that it it wasn't a knee bar that he was trying to pull the 50-50 aren't even acknowledging that the other side has a point where it's like okay, the ref makes a ruling, it really looks like this, then the coach of a major influential team talks to the ref and it gets overturned and I think everybody would have been surprised if the situation had been reversed, if Gavin had been the one doing the knee bar, if his coach would have been able to get the ruling overturned. I, I think that the perception of impropriety is something that's a, that's an issue that people are, uh, are, 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 I think, discounting in a way that they shouldn't.
1: Go Team Goliath. <laughs>
0: <laughs> On a happier note, next week's Toro Cup uh, is an, a charity event that is one of the most fun things we do in North Carolina in terms of benefiting the community this one is going to benefit the women's Center of Raleigh and joining us uh, joining us right now to break down Toro Cup is the matchmaker of Toro Cup a highly successful competitor in his own right and new denizen of Richmond Virginia Mr. John Bagels Telford John how are you this morning our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gi's, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at ToroBJJ.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. Good morning. <laughs> thanks, for, w- thanks for waking up early and calling in, John.
2: So I've been up for a little while. Mr. Daniel Frank's over here watching some jiu-jitsu matches with me from yesterday.
0: Oh, well, that sounds fun. We're going to do that a little bit later. Speaking of jiu-jitsu matches, I want to ask you some questions about the Toro Cup. Now, this looks to be one of the biggest Toro Cups yet, and certainly one of the ones with the most impressive upper belts. We have 20 matches, so we can't go through them all. But I want to ask you first, what is the match that you personally are most excited to watch at Toro Cup 7?
2: You're, you always do, You always do that. Um I think it's probably gonna be Nikki Ryan and Anthony Garvalho.
0: Is that a no-gi match?
2: It is a no match. Um, they've have competed once before. Nicky Ryan, I believe, beat Anthony with maybe a toe hold. Um but I know that Anthony has been training really hard and is really excited for this rematch, so I think it's gonna be a, a pretty good matchup.
0: Excellent. One of the ones I'm excited about is another, so, well, another one of the guys that's doing a seminar at Elevate the Day after Toro Cup, Ethan Krellinston against DeAndre Corbe. Um, yes. And so DeAndre is coming off a very impressive performance at the Worlds where he won two matches in impressive fashion before losing in the quarterfinals. And Ethan, I think, is famous to most people for breaking that guy's arm in grisly fashion. But maybe you can break down like, where you got the idea to bring in Ethan to compete against DeAndre and what your perceptions of this match are.
2: Yeah, that was that match was actually the other the like I, the one I was kind of tied with between the Nicky Ryan and Anthony Garvoglio match. Um and the only reason I picked the Anthony Garvoglio match is I I know how how hyped up and excited Anthony is for this match. Uh we talked the, the other day and he was saying he said, "Man, you know, I'm I'm really excited for this match. You know, the the only thing the only thing going through my mind every day is just Nicky Ryan. That's the only thing I think about." Granted, Nikki Ryan probably doesn't even know who I am, but all day, every day, all I think about is Nicky Ryan. So he's <laughs> super pumped up and excited for that match. I'm, I'm excited to see it.
0: Well, that's terrific, um, and you know, uh, Anthony. And Anthony I wanna, but let me just break in and say, Anthony had an extremely exciting Toro Cup match before. He's one of those dudes that constantly attacks and is a pleasure to watch. So to know that he has been this focused on that match, I, I think he's going to put on a great performance.
2: Correct. And Nogi is definitely his forte, so uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to see that. Um the the guys, Ethan Krellinston and Nicky Ryan actually were brought to me by uh, the first lady of Jiu Jitsu, Miss Betty Broadhurst. She's known Nikki and Gordon since they were kids. And presented the idea to me to see if we could find somebody some people to, to have matches with them and I said, Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure we
0: I'm pretty sure we have people for them. So, uh in a, in a black belt match, I noticed that you have uh, Daniel Frank competing and I have two questions for you about that. The first is, does his opponent's name rhyme with Daniel and if so, is that why you made the match?
2: It yeah, means it's part of it, it'll be Daniel versus Daniel or Daniel versus Daniel, however you say the name. Um so rhyming is always fun, but it'd be nice for neither one of these guys ever get to compete locally against people their own size. So both of them are smaller black belts, so it should be exciting to see a nice match where they're not having to fight some gigantor.
0: Most definitely, and that matches in the gi, and Daniel uh, Daniel's gi game is really fun to watch. Uh, what do you know about Tanya Labu?
2: I know he has he has won a lot. Um, I don't remember exactly his his exact resume off the top of my head. I think he's won the Brazilian Nationals and maybe the Pans at some level. Um, he has a pretty good resume. I haven't seen him compete much in person yet other than online. So I'm excited to see him kind of get out there. Like I said, locally, most of the events that he's been going to, he showed up and hasn't really had anybody his size competing against.
0: One other athlete that I always love watching at Toro Cup uh, is Greg Walker. Greg had an incredible match against Nakapon at Toro Cup that is still one of the most watched videos on our Facebook page and Greg's good at everything but especially top control and wrestling and he has a match against Jer- uh, against Jared Lawton who is at, uh, I who I know is from Maine and is a fight to win veteran. Can you tell us about how that match came to be? Yeah,
2: um actually that was Another one was sort of brought to me by somebody else. Um, Jimmy Bigelow, I think I believe, went to college with Jared Lawton, and Jared would have been kind of tough to get down here to do to do a match, obviously because he lives in Maine. So Jimmy uh, presented the idea of setting up a match for Jared this weekend so that he could come down and hang out and spend the weekend with Jimmy Bigelow and they could hang out together. So that's kind of how that, that match came to fruition. Um, I knew he was a a real high-level competitor, so I found a a nice high-level competitor for him here locally, and that's definitely Greg Walker.
0: Yes, most definitely. And Greg's also really fun to watch, so I'm looking forward to that. That's the main event, correct?
2: Uh, That is going to be the main event, correct.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So CJ Murdoch, local favorite, is also back on the card against Scott Dance, and uh, you know I know that you know everybody who's who listens to the show knows that we're big fans of CJ. That CJ is a dude that is constantly on the attack, constantly going for the submission, and his game is constantly evolving. For those of us that might be less familiar with his opponent, what can you tell us about Scott?
2: Uh, Scott trains in Northern Virginia. He's under the BJJ Revolution team. He last year I met Scott Dance in the 2016 season. We were in, he was in my brown belt division and he took second at the Abu Dhabi trials in New Jersey, the one where I took third. Um, then we, we never actually competed against each other. But we were just in the same division. So we talked some and got to know each other. Um, so I, I knew him. I knew he had gotten promoted. And again, kind of the same, the same thing as the Daniel Frank Tanya match. CJ's done a lot of matches for us and a lot of those matches have been against larger. Um, Opponents. So for this match, it was really nice to bring in somebody the exact same size as him, same age. You know, it's not some, like, third-degree black belt. It's been a black belt for 20 years. So it should be a very competitive, good match.
0: Yeah, CJ will compete against anyone, and he's competed against dudes that are much bigger, dudes that have been black belts much longer on Toro Cup. He had that match against Frankie Patches early on. You know, CJ is a guy that he's never going to turn down a challenge, and so it's great to give him... Uh, an opponent like this that is, you know, sw- sort of more comparably situated in his jujitsu journey.
2: Yeah, I know he spends a lot of time traveling back and forth to Asia. I think he does some fighting in one championship and trains with Kamal Shalarus a lot. So I know that I know that he's been training with him and also trains with uh, Josh Aguero, who is having a match with Cody maltek
0: which is another match I wanted to talk about. I got the chance to train alongside, didn't get to train with Josh when I was up at the Pedro Sauer headquarters a couple of weeks ago. Josh is also a successful MMA fighter, and uh, and so uh, and Cody, of course, is an MMA fighter as well, both of them pros, and so this should be a really fun match. Um, I, I'm not honestly sure what to expect. Uh, it's in the gi, correct?
2: It is in the gi, that is correct.
0: And so, Cody obviously is a Toro Cup veteran, you know, and and a sort of a guy who's everywhere on the local scene. For those of you that don't know Josh, I mean, Josh uh, trains at the the Pedro Sauer headquarters in Herndon, Virginia. There are, I think, 11 black belts now there that are his regular training partners. And so, he doesn't lack for pedigree, he doesn't lack for high level training partners, trains with Dave Porter. Um, And so, what else, like, what, what inspired you to bring in Josh Aguero to compete against Cody?
2: Um, so Josh and part of it was Josh and um, Scott Dancer. They train together, mm. so they're both preparing, and you know they're working together. Scott, or uh, excuse me, Josh is helping Scott prepare for for Toro Cup. So it just made sense to try to find a match for him. Also, um, you know the smaller black belts are somewhat tough to come by in this in this area. They all seem to be like 175 and above for the most part. So finding some of these smaller guys that I can give some of the other guys an opportunity for is a really good a really good chance.
0: I want to mention one thing. Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to mention one match that, that we're not going to be having, unfortunately, and then close out by talking about some of the blue belt matches that I'm actually really excited about. Um, so unfortunately, Anthony Elbert, who uh, we love having on Toro Cup for a variety of reasons, uh, got a concussion in his match at the Worlds, in his second match. His, his first match, he put his opponent to sleep with a bow and arrow choke, and then his uh, his second match ended up uh, competing against Espen Matheson, who's a high-level brown belt, and, and I believe he got a concussion. So unfortunately, Anthony won't be competing the, this time. Is that right? That is correct. That's really unfortunate. Um, Anthony's a great kid, and we wish him all the best and uh, a speedy recovery from that. I'm sure that you'd love to book him on a future Toro Cup. Oh, most definitely. Mm-hmm. So l- the blue belt matches. One of the th- there there are several women's blue belt matches, all of which I think should be pretty exciting. We talked about Amber Habel at the top of the show, and she's going to compete against Nico Ball. And oddly, they were in the same division at the Worlds uh, the- yesterday. Fortunately, they didn't meet each other. Uh, which would have been really unlikely and kind of funny, but but I think that should be an I think that should be an entertaining match. I think that uh, the Summer Carpenter match against Nora from Upstream BJJ should be very entertaining. And then you have I think
2: that match is going to be
0: insane. Mm. Tell it so. Talk to us about that match. Why did you book I've, that? Why are you so uh, excited for it?
2: Well, I've never trained. I've never trained with Summer, but I've trained with Nora, and she is really hard to hard to deal with. I mean, she's. Very small, but very, very fast. So I'm excited to see how that match plays out with these two smaller ladies um, that are going to be moving at a, a pretty high speed. I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. So Saida Durki is also on the card against Emily Zagone, uh, and I want to like. And, and so I don't know if you have anything to say about that match. I want the last thing we talk about to be Kim Rice against Maggie Gamry. Uh, but but <laughs> anything anything to say about Emily and Saida?
2: I know that that match should be really good. They, the two of them have trained together a couple times. When I set this match up, they both sort of had the same response as like, oh, we've trained together, We're like this is going to be a war. Um, so they, I think they know a little bit about each other, at least enough to know that the other one's tough and to respect their game. So uh, I think that'll be good. they're also similar, similarly sized. Emily's obviously not quite as tall as Saeed but I there think are a that few match
0: that are is really
2: exciting, <laughs> right? Right. Another one, um, you know, there's all these matches are really going to be exciting. To be completely honest, um, so there's there's so many we can't really go into all of them.
0: Yeah, definitely not. But in the few minutes we have left, we have about three minutes left. I want to make sure we get to talk about Kim Rice against Maggie Gamry. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Kim is coming off a double bronze performance at the Brown Belt Worlds, which is her first tournament at Brown Belt. And how did you, like, and I don't believe she and Maggie have ever competed against each other.
2: No, I don't believe they have. This match, I actually booked this match. Kim was supposed to compete on the last card. And then, let me see, let me try to remember exactly how it played out. She was supposed to compete on the card and then it purple belt. And then I believe her opponent got hurt and then she got promoted. Think. I think is what happened. Kim was supposed to compete on the last Toro Cup. Her opponent got hurt, so the match got dropped and then Kim ended up getting promoted to Brown Belt. So then I had reached out to Maggie to try to replace and set set this match for the previous Toro Cup. And every, everybody was all in for it. But Maggie had one, there was one like uh, preset thing that she had that day. So the match wasn't able to happen. So we pushed it back and held it for it for this tournament
0: just to it give, gives you a, a time to build anticipation and, uh, and right I'm, right yeah well so,
2: it says a lot about it says says a lot about Maggie I mean she I I called her and she was you know Kim's no slouch she's one of the you know the more successful competitors in the region I I called Maggie up about the match and she didn't hesitate she was all over it and I have no doubt that she would have come down and taken the match you know right then if she hadn't had a previous engagement
0: well that's great and i'm I'm really glad that you're able to make this happen, and especially to make it happen for charity so for folks who are listening, it's ten dollars at the door. fifty percent of the proceeds are going to go to the women's center of Raleigh and it must be gratifying for you as the matchmaker to be a part of an event that does something good for the community in addition to putting on exciting matches
2: for sure i mean i I really love um I love the charity aspect of the Toro Cup. don't get me wrong, but for me the the thing that really drives Toro Cup for me is the community, the community aspect. Um, it's, a, it's such a great day for the jiu-jitsu community, and not just in North Carolina. This event I have at the moment 34 different schools represented on the card.
0: Which is far and away the most schools we've ever had represented. So, uh, congratulations yes, yes. to you for doing that. Um, bringing down Juni Ocasio from Unity BJJ, uh, one of the one of the schools that we represented for the first time. Uh, a ver- it, which should be in what should be a really fun match against Evan Arredondo of Gracie Raleigh as well. I want to make sure. Yeah, that Yeah, that match not.
2: is going to kick the card off. That's going to be the, the first match of the card. So, you guys. Don't, don't show up late for Toro Cup. One of the craziest matches of the day is going to be the very first match. We're flying this kid in from New York is gonna be crazy.
0: Yeah, well said. Well said. If you want to see some high level technique and excitement, I mean that should definitely get the crowd pumped up to start and it's Sunday. It's like six days away and I'm already pumped up for Toro Cup seven, John.
2: Yeah, I mean get there get there early. Get a spot. There'll be Curbachurba will be there selling dumplings.
1: Ooh yeah. My amazing
2: girlfriend will be there with Yellow Bear Bakery selling amazing baked goods. I believe Forte Legato Coffee will be there swinging coffee. So it should be a pretty magical day.
0: Toro Cup 7, match, matches made by John Bagels Telford. John, we are really grateful to you as always for coming on the show and can't wait to see you next weekend for a great day of jiu-jitsu.
2: Shout-out to James Boomer Hagaboom for actually making Toro Cup happen. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's our show for the day. We previewed some of the most exciting jujitsu to come, and we've recapped some uh, uh, some tremendous performances at the Mundials. As always, I'm really grateful for all the folks that listen to the show and uh, for all the folks that take the time to support your local jiu-jitsu community. This is a niche pursuit, but something that so many people are passionate about and changes so many lives. And so however you participate in this community, whether you compete yourself, whether you put on events, whether you run a gym, whether you support local competitors, or whether you just want to show up and watch some great jiu-jitsu, I'm grateful for your participation in the jiu-jitsu community in North Carolina and beyond. And I'm also grateful to my guest hosts, uh, Betsy O'Donovan and uh, Fletcher the Hound, who is currently trying to get into her lap.
1: It is totally our pleasure. And boy, is this dog taking advantage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, you can't can't say no on live radio. And so Fletcher is taking full advantage of that. Betsy, do you have any words to close out the show?
1: Just how incredibly glad I am to get weekends like this when we can see the best jiu-jitsu in the world happening. And be proud of our friends who are making part of that work
0: it's the most wonderful time of the year Uh, this is dirty white belt radio my name is jeff shaw i want to thank everybody once again for listening i hope that you had a great time watching the worlds please come out and support toro cup next weekend and don't forget the seminar nikki ryan and ethan krelinston the following day at elevate mma we will see you next sunday with our interviews with those gentlemen nikki ryan and ethan krelinston take care